This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl. And this is episode 68. I'm so excited about this episode. My guest this week, like I just got done with the final edit of it, so I'm still kind of living off the high of that episode. Uh, I got to relive something that I enjoyed experiencing two weeks ago, getting to re- uh, recut the episode. My guest this week is Sarah Lotus. I have referred to her before. She is a Patreon sponsor of Militantly Mix, and she and I engage quite frequently on Instagram. Uh, she's recently tagged Militantly Mix and myself in a couple of her posts. Uh, if you're not following her on Instagram, I'm going to put link in the show notes so that you can. She's at Sarah Lotus Garrett on Instagram. Sarah is a recently certified life coach and she centers her practice around uh, mixed race identity and assisting interracial families with how to raise their mixed race children in a thoughtful and uh, empowering, affirming type of way. So this is something I'm very passionate about just as a mixed person who grew up without that support growing up even though I had mixed race parents. And why I have chosen to be child-free, it's still something I'm very passionate about in terms of finding ways for interracial couples who do have mixed-race kids to learn how to help their child maneuver in their identity as they as they grow up. I think now that we have a couple of generations of legal, quote-unquote legal, mixed-race children, it is time that we should be able to affirm their identity as mixed-race kids as they grow up. And that is some of the work that Sarah is doing. So you'll hear me talk about her as a uh, as a mixed race superhero towards the end of the show. And that's because I really do think that there is something super heroic about work that is centered around mixedness because we didn't have it when we were growing up. And so now we can do that for the future generations. Before I get into the episode, though, there's a few things I do want to explain for context that I think might be helpful for the audience who isn't based here in the United States or because American education system is not the best. You may have not heard of Loving versus Virginia. And this is something we reference in the episode. Sarah refers to herself as a post-loving baby. And what that means is uh, Loving versus Virginia was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, which struck down all state laws that banned interracial marriages. And this was effective 1967. So it wasn't that long ago that interracial marriages here in the United States was illegal. The only cases in which that was not enforced necessarily was military families. So I come from two sides, both sides of my family are military families. My Caucasian American grandfather was stationed in Japan during the Korean War. He married my Japanese grandmother and brought her to the States and they had mixed race children. My black grandfather, my black American grandfather was stationed in England around the same time, um, Korean War. He married, met and married my Caucasian British Nana and brought her to the United States and started having mixed race babies. And that predates Loving versus Virginia. And the reason why that is okay, quote unquote okay, 
is that military families were sort of given an unspoken pass or voucher to be married interracially because they kind of thought of it as, well, you were, you're risking your life for the country. This is the least we can do is allow you to bring your brown and yellow wives to the States and have your little hybrid children. Um, they made Asian wives take classes on domesticity to teach them how to be American domestics in the household. My Caucasian Nana did not have to do that because she spoke English and she was white, even though she was a foreigner when she came to the States. So my situation is different from Sarah's in that my family is predates Loving versus Virginia, but they were still sort of quote unquote sanctioned interracial marriages. They weren't illegal interracial marriages um, before 1967. But Sarah is post Loving versus Virginia, which means that post-1967, when the anti-miscegenation laws were struck down, her parents legally, quote-unquote legally, were able to have her. <laughs> oh, it sounds terrible to say that because it's, it's, not, it's, it's not that long ago. I am also a post-loving baby, but I'm 10 years post-loving. So by the time I come around, there are a little bit more mixed-race people, the people getting used to us existing. And because I also grew up in a military family, I grew up around a lot of mixed-race people. So my experience is always a little bit different than uh, many of my guests because most of my guests grow up in mixed isolation. And that's something we get into here in this episode. So I just wanted to kind of explain that for any of the audience members that may not have may not be familiar with Loving versus Virginia because we don't pause in the middle of the discussion to explain what it is. We just talk about it because we both know what it is. Uh, so that was one. And there is a couple of references that towards the end of the episode where we reference Sarah being in Italy, but in no other part did we reference it, but it sounds like we had. And that's because Sarah and I talked for about two and a half hours. <laughs> We were only supposed to talk for about 50 minutes, but we ended up talking for two and a half hours. And I, so I took out a big section of the discussion, which I am going to release in the future because we talked about some really, some really good things, uh, code switching and racism, your views on racism, depending on where you are. So I kind of referenced it towards the end of this episode, but that's because I had to cut out a whole bunch of stuff and I will release those later because I didn't want to put out a two and a half hour episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I am really excited. I can't wait for you to, to hear this episode. Before I do that, I do want to make a couple, you know me, I got to talk for about 15, 20 minutes, right? I do want to make a couple announcements. First of all, uh, I want to say a really heartfelt thank you to the audience for sticking with me and helping me to continue to grow during this time. I know over the last four or five months, I've been, you know, on and off in terms of, um, energy and excitement and things like that. I've had a very difficult time in my personal life, having lost a job unexpectedly and, um, and not knowing if I was going to be potentially homeless by the end of any month because things are really tight. I've had a lot of friends and family come through and help get me through this period of time. And I did start a temp job a couple weeks ago. It was very low paying at the time I started it. Since I've been there, they realize how much more work they need and how much more capable I am. I fought for myself. I've gotten a raise and I've gotten an extension on that contract. So I at least know that for the next three or four months, I'm not going to have to stress out about where I'm getting my paycheck from. And so I hope that that translates into the energy that I exhibit on this show will change quite a bit because I'm not going to have that burden on my mind. Uh, last week, I did say that I had just been hit with some bad news that makes me feel like I don't even know what's next coming. And that was before I found out the good news about me. But it, it was the case that um, 
my husband is now in the same boat that I was over the summer in that he's got to be looking for a new teaching position for next semester, which is probably unlikely. Uh, so it's making LA a real challenge for us because we we started out really high and I was making over six figures and or I was making six figures and um, he was an adjunct and you know we were paying the bills and everything was fine. And then a bunch of stuff happened and now we have no money. <laughs> So, you know, life has been difficult here in Los Angeles, and I I know that you've heard me be upset about that for the last few months, but you, you've stuck it out with me, and you've supported me. You've sent me wonderful messages of support. Some of you have donated to help ease some of the burdens that I've been experiencing, and I'm just so appreciative. I know that when you come to Militantly Mix, you're coming to hear a show centered around mixedness. You're coming to hear the stories of other mixed race people, and the fact that you have heard me pull away from that just to talk about what's been um, heavily stressed in my life and still stuck it out with me. I'm really appreciative of. So thank you everybody for, for doing that. Hopefully at least for the next couple months, that won't be the case and I'll be able to recenter around mixes again. Um, and then finally, uh, Patreon sponsorship. We're still at 275 for the month. This is the last Tuesday of October, so we got a few more days left to go to hit the $300 goal for the end of October. Uh, so if you can, drop in a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, or hit the whole 25 to help us hit the goal. Because uh, we're on, we're on a we got momentum. We've hit the goal every month until until now. So if we can hit it, we can keep on a winning streak. Uh, because and I'll be honest, I have hit critical mass in terms of what I'm capable of doing for the shows without support. I'm getting to the point I absolutely do need to hire somebody who can help support me uh, either on the logistics of the stuff related to the show, the social media, the catching up with things or the editing itself. Things are starting to get pretty stretched. I do produce and edit all four shows on Main Hustle Media Network, Militantly Mixed, Black Radical Queer, Blurred Comics, and By Furious. Uh, and when I was unemployed, I took on some editing freelance work, which is pretty heavy labor as well, especially because I'm not the host and I don't have anything but the audio files to go off of. So I'm not canceling that just because I've taken on a job. I'm going to fulfill my commitment. But doing that, editing about six or seven shows a week potentially, while also working full time and trying to market the shows every week. You, you may have noticed in the last week or so, I haven't been doing much on social media. And that has to do with just when can I do it? I have no idea. So it's been hard to even market the episodes each week as well. So it'll be it'll be pretty tight until we do achieve at least that 500 a month but even then I think because I've taken on more it's probably I'm probably gonna have to push my goal earlier to try to get me above that so I can actually hire somebody who can and pay them what they're worth that's the other part I don't want to just pay someone what I'm what I can pay them I want to pay them what they are worth and with your support we will be able to do that so if you would like to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mix we have levels as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish I do also want to start a patreon exclusive monthly episode but again i'm adding more to what i already have in terms of limited time uh so until i get that support it's going to be very difficult to be able to to do that but i appreciate the support that i've received so far and i'm really overwhelmed that it, that it's happening I, I know i'm lucky in terms of other podcasters in the support that i receive so i appreciate the audience continue to tell your friends share the episodes that are meaningful to you i do appreciate you and the messages that i've been receiving i mean i wish i could actually just fly and meet every single person and be there for them when they're in the moments that they're in that cause them to email me because like i know how much we need each other we definitely need to have a 
support system, a community of mixed race people who understand the context of our lives. And, and I'm trying to do that. I just I just need a little bit more support to be able to do it because as of right now, I've, I've hit the the ceiling in terms of what I can do as a solo person. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. And if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at Charmaine at MilitantlyMixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at MilitantlyMixed.com. And, uh, you know, let me know how the show's impacting you. If you want to Subscribe, rate, and review on whichever podcatcher you are listening to us on. That also helps other people see that we exist. So if people are out there feeling isolated and mixedness, we might pop up as a suggestion if you rate and review the show on whichever platform you are listening to us on. I think that's good. So without further ado, please help me welcome Sarah Lotus to the Militantly Mixed family. And just know that this will not be the only time she will be on the show. And this week we are joined by Sarah Lotus, who is actually a listener of the show, but also a supporter of the show. And we've gotten to speak before about projects that Sarah is working on in Mixness. Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Okay. Hi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm super happy to be here. And um I, my name is Sarah Lotus, and I was born in San Francisco in 1969, uh, right after Loving, you know, the Loving. I'm a Loving Generation baby. Um, my mom is white. My dad is black. And I grew up without my dad um, around. So it was just mm. me and my mom and my older brother. And my grandparents, I grew up in total whiteness in a place called Marin County, California. So I grew up in a little place uh, called San Anselmo and then a little bit in San Geronimo Valley. So super duper white. And um, yeah, that's about it right there in terms of my, my background. So when you said that earlier when we spoke that you grew up um, or that you were named in a hippie time and then you said yeah. I grew up in Severn County, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> post-loving Severn County makes sense. Yeah, totally. It was absolute hippieville. Growing up in total whiteness, I think, is a thing about a lot of biracial folks, black, black and white biracial folks that yeah. um, I've spoken to for the sake of the show mm-hmm. is that many of us with a black and white backgrounds do grow up with the white side of our family or the lighter side of our family and don't have a whole lot of ac- access to our blackness. What growing up in that environment, what was it like for you to be a, a brown kid in a white space? That's a very interesting question. I mean, I, I think at a very young age, I went into sort of like a, went into hiding. 
Mm. So I just, I think I realized really young that the safest way for me to proceed was to fit in. And so I just did what everybody else around me was doing. And I didn't ask any questions and I tried not to make any, any problems. Mm. And, um, I think it was, it resulted actually, I realized recently that it, it resulted in sort of, um, like a lifelong rebellion because mm. I have always felt, or I had always felt, I've done a lot of work recently. So I had always felt like I was not being seen. Right. Um, and I think just because of my inherent character, I just hated that. And so I was always sort of stomping my feet about other unrelated things to being mm. unrelated. You were working it out in other, th- in other yeah. areas. Yeah, especially during adolescence that started, you know, a little bit more aggressively. But um, mm. yeah, and um, I think a lot of that was about trying to be seen in some way, you know, because you're seen, I wasn't given any space to be me as a mixed person. Of course I was perceived as black. So, and in that period, I experienced a lot of (sighs) aggression, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. really racist aggression. And, um, but I, I'm not black. I'm mixed, you know, and I grew up with my mom who I loved, who I look into the face of a, the woman that is everything to me and she's white. So I'm definitely not black, but I'm not white. And there was right. also no space for me to be mixed. So right. I really wasn't being seen. Especially as, and not to say that there weren't mixed people before loving, but specifically for American culture, mm-hmm. being a post-loving baby, yeah. you are a beta tester of what is this identity, you know, especially oh. here in America. What is this identity? Because prior to loving, if you if you were so pale you could pass, then you behaved as white for safety. Yeah. If you were so dark that you couldn't pass as white, you were black. That was just it. The one drop rule was something the white people created, but the black people internalized so much. So that is now a part of our culture in which if we see blackness, even a hint of it in someone, we welcome them into the fold because we know that there's no home really for for mixedness and and that space. But you being from that first generation of post, gosh, I can't can't even believe that you have to say these words, post legalized mixed race children. Yeah. Um, You know, you, you are experiencing things and the people around you are experiencing something that they have never had to really deal with or anything. And they decide your identity for you. This is something mixed people. That's all we talk about is how people have decided our identity for us. And especially for what I've noticed, which is different from my experience as a triracial person who presents really ambiguous Mm -hmm. for biracial folks, you are one or the other or you are Mexican. And that is all you get, you know, especially here in California, I say specifically Mm -hmm. Mexican because of California. But for you to be accused, I'm using the word intentionally to be accused of being black when you are mixed black and white growing up around whiteness you don't have access necessarily to what they mean when they say black. No, I mean, and, but you, but you're held to the standards absolutely. of their expectations of blackness. Absolutely. And that is so damaging for a child who is trying to figure out 
who the hell they are looking like they do when they have mothers that look the way that their mothers yeah. look and all kinds of stuff. So I like I hear you speaking and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, all these things that I understand for the experience of my mom and my dad, mm -hmm. uh, who also were. Um, well, they're slightly pre loving. They're right. like six and eight years pre loving, but they're mm -hmm. military children. So oh, yeah. that's that's that's, that's how that that one works. Micro. It's its own Alter. bubble, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, the 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 past, and and I've I've gone to several events where they've talked about how military mixed children, um, like you know, they they basically got a voucher <laughs> to allow themselves to have these mixed families um, in the U.S. military. Oh, yeah. before. I, think I remember you telling me about that. It's a whole thing, and, and the more I hear about it, the more my family starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so investigating the the generations that come ahead of you actually, I think, does help figure out some of your identity. It certainly has done a lot for me while Absolutely. I've started to do it. Absolutely. But in your case, I, like I really want to get into this because we we've touched on loving generation a little bit here and there throughout the show, but not really with someone who um, really is like from that first generation and ready yeah. to like their whole experience is sort of based on this. Yeah. Do you, what was your awareness, I guess, of loving then as you were growing up? Was that something you actually figured out more as an adult or did you know about it growing up? Absolutely zero. Mm. I mean, we didn't ever talk about race in my house or in my family mm -hmm. that I remember. I remember being treated in a, in a different way because I was brown, you know, than, than, than my mom was treated. I remember feeling, just knowing I was really different from the people around me. Right. But we never talked about... <sighs> those, the, the, the laws before or, um, being mixed. She it didn't was, talk to you about why you received stares and things like that. No, when you're gosh, absolutely not. And it's, you know, it's ironic because, you know, they were both really progressive. My dad was like, a <clears throat> a, a, ja a free jazz musician. My mom was a total hippie beatnik and they, they focused more on the fact that they were mixing. Right. And not on the fact that they had created a little mixed person. That's so, actually an interesting idea. Are they thinking that they are combating racism to a degree by creating a mixed baby? Yeah, but it doesn't center mixedness at all. At all. Right. Okay. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It this is something like activism and, you know, right. hope for the future and being open-minded and oh those ideas, but it does not at all look at mixed experience. Right. I never even thought about the early generation having mixed babies as activism. I mean, I don't think that it was like, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't speak for anybody, sure, but right, right, right. I yeah. don't think it was a general, like, I'm going to do this as an active, you know, as an, as an action towards activism, right. but it definitely contributes to your identity as a person who is open-minded and um, progressive and certainly not racist and uh, all these other Right. That lend them tell lend themselves towards activism. So yeah, absolutely. I do think even ac accidental activism, you know, is yeah. is a thing that happens. And I I do wonder if there were people in that generation that kind of had that idea, or if it's just you know, free love was a thing, and it was a time when we were trying to be open. And 
boom, I got a mixed I'm baby. Sure there are a ton, a ton of, there are many different layers to it. I imagine mm-hmm. there are many different layers. You know, my parents were deeply in love. Period. So yeah. there's that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But there was no reference to talking about um, or thinking about even the perspective of this little mixed baby that you've made and where they're growing up and what they're growing up in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the common thread of a lot of mixed generations, even even for me, so I'm 10 years post-loving, not mm-hmm. aware of loving until I was an adult. Um, and uh-huh. then... And then once I realized it, once I was aware of it, stuff started to click into into my head about, say, my grandparents. Really, um, my especially my my dad's parents. My my dad's uh, father was Black American. His mother was Caucasian British. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was more radical that they were married than my Japanese grandmother and my white grandfather because mm-hmm. that seemed very. Um, a version of colonialist, you know, to yeah. for a white soldier to go to a place and bring back a brown wife or Absolutely. a yellow wife in this particular yeah. case. Like, so in that case, it didn't seem very radical at all. And in fact, it felt seemed very oppressive. But my grandfather was out of the picture by the time I came around pretty much. On my dad's side, though, they were also broken up by the time I came around, but I was still around them when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, like, how crazy was it that my British white grandmother, like, married this black as night, dark, you know, God, my dad is really man, dark you know, that too. kind of thing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just like, wow, you know, this is a big deal. And then, you know, but I wasn't seeing a lot of the racism that even my Nana had until I got like, I know there were things that made me uncomfortable and that I didn't understand, but I needed adult context and learning to yeah. start to process some oh, of the absolutely. stuff that my nan was doing way too much for a child to manage on their own one thing i will say about my family that i that i have found was different than a lot of the mixed people that i know now is that while they didn't prepare me for people dealing with my mixedness they at least talked about race in a way that allowed me to understand racism mm-hmm. so you know it took a while it took until my first racial incident. Um, But they did eventually, they would say, oh, this is happening because racism and blah, 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 blah. So I at least had that bit. That was a little bit helpful, I think, um, rather than sweeping it under the rug. Mm Because like on my on my Japanese side, they definitely don't want to talk about it. We're not talking about it. The all the thing we knew is that on the Japanese side, being black was bad. So we didn't talk about being black. Like that was what that was what we knew on that side. On the on the black and British side, though, it was like, yeah, people are going to look at us weird because they don't understand us. And basically my Nana was like, fuck them. This is my family. And yet she still did really racist things towards black people and brown people. And, yeah. and it was this weird thing that I never really started to, to grasp until I was an adult mm-hmm. uh, with your with your family, though. And I think this is another thing that's uncomfortable for us mixed folks to talk about because we don't want to. We don't want to come off as like we're bashing our family in any way, shape or form. But being the first generation who's really legitimately stepping out and and doing this post-loving, they're, like I said, accidental activists, I think. They don't realize that they're doing a really big thing Mm -hmm. in – I mean, maybe they do because they're probably dealing with some racism. But they don't realize that what's happening in creating this mixed child 
is a child who has got to try to figure out how to maneuver three kinds of spaces. The white space that they're growing up in, I think in your case, the Mm -hmm. black space that people um, are assuming they are, uh, Mm -hmm. but don't have access to. And then also, how do I get to be me? How do I get to be both, you know, while I'm walking around these things? And the kids just aren't prepared. The parents don't know how to talk about it because they don't have a shared experience. Right. So why, why talk about it? Let's just, it'll be fine. They're kids. It'll be fine. And we, oh, yeah. we go on with our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get nervous about, you know, I don't want to hold my mother or father, whoever is the white parent to some kind of standard that is probably impossible in that early generation of uh, yeah, I, I think mixed so. folks. Yeah. I think now there's no excuse. I mean, from, from the way I feel like mixed people been here for a while, you know, we're out here. Don't think we're that weird. We're not really that weird. There's a lot of us. You can fucking talk about it now, parents. You know, but back yeah. then, how did you talk about it was the thing. Like now I think there's there's more tools and resources to be able to talk about it. But Absolutely. back then, how did you talk about this? How did you pre- prepare your kids? And the answer is you didn't talk about it and you didn't prepare your kids. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't even know if my mom thought of me as mixed. Mm. I mean, I would have to ask That's a thing, her. too. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I guess she did, but, like, she never talked about me or we never talked about being me being mixed until I was in, I think, like, a senior in high school. She, she joined. It was like she had an awakening, and she was like, oh, my God, I have mixed children. Mm. And she, she started this... Um, this like multicultural group of moms and she started inquiring about my mixedness. Like, what's it like to be mixed? I remember she made this Mm. this video um, where she was, you know, sat me down with the camera and was asking me all these questions about being mixed. And I just had zero language. Right. How old were you when she, when she came around to this? I think I was about 17 Okay. I was in high school, but like towards the later, the, you know, almost finish. And so you're like right in the tail end of, I legit don't know who I am. Yeah. I'm a teenager and I'm freaking yeah. out and I have hormones, but sure. Let's figure out this let's identity thing. Out video camera. Uh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we never really talked about it. I don't think, and I, you know, we've talked about it now and my mom's, she's pretty cool. So she's very open to uh, looking and sifting through things from my childhood, from my perspective, Um, Mm. just because we did that. You know, we've done that just in my own therapy that I've done in my own life. It required us to do that. And she was um, available enough to do that with me. So we talk about it now and she just, you know, basically has said she was clueless. Yeah. She didn't think about that. Um, You know. And that's fair. I mean. Totally fair. Hey y'all, it's your girl Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and I'm jumping into the middle of this episode to remind y'all that on Friday, November 1st at 9.30pm, I will be attempting to perform my very first stand-up comedy set at the Ruby Theater in Los Angeles at the Moral Support Show. The Moral Support Show is curated by Marie Wojcicki, aka Depressed Auntie. 
who you may remember from episode six of Militantly Mixed, same colonizer, wrong country. Marie puts on this show to help LGBTQ plus and predominantly POC comedians put together a taped reel of their comedy sets so that they can shop themselves around to comedy clubs here in Los Angeles and probably everywhere else. This is actually not an easy thing to get good footage of your sets and to be able to use that to promote yourself. The Ruby Theater is a small black box theater, so we need to pack the house out so that the comedians can feed off of everybody's energy. The more laughter and support that the crowd offers, the better the comedians do, the better the comedians do, the better their taped footage is for shopping themselves out. So please come out in support of all the LGBTQ plus POC comedians and me. I'm not a comedian yet. Hopefully, maybe one day I will be. I don't know. So come on out to the Ruby Theater in Los Angeles on Friday, November 1st at 9.30 p.m. You can purchase tickets at therubyla.com. Make sure you select Moral Support on Friday, November 1st at 9.30 p.m. If you aren't in Los Angeles or you are and can't attend the show, but you would like to support the show, you can purchase tickets at therubyla.com and then email me to let me know that you are donating your ticket and what name your ticket is in. You can either email me at charmaine at militantlymixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at militantlymixed.com or slide into my DMs on Twitter and Instagram at militantlymixed. Let me know the name that the ticket is in and how many tickets you are donating and we will go ahead and give them to someone who would like to attend but can't afford to the tickets are ten dollars again that is the rubyla.com look for the moral support show on friday november 1st at 9 30 p.m i'll put a link in the show notes for the ruby theater but yeah come out support the lgbtq plus poc comedians and support your favorite mixed race podcaster at an attempt to do something she's always wanted to do but has no idea if she has that skill set. <laughs> I'll let y'all know next week how it goes. Bye! Hey everybody, this is me, Slightly Annoyed Mixed Chick, checking in to see how everyone's doing and to tell you that I'm back from my wedding slash sanity hiatus. Now that I'm back, I'm working on brand new content and can't wait to share it with you guys. This time around, I'm pulling more from my personal experiences and not just social commentary. Don't worry, I'm still going to cover the happenings in the world. Stop on my blog, take a peek, read a little, and then reach out and let me know what you think. Your feedback is not only welcome, it's also what keeps me going. You can find me at my blog, www.slightlyannoyedmixchick.com. And on my Insta page, also under Slightly Annoyed Mixed Chick. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, like it's it's a hard thing to expect anybody, even those who do realize that they're stepping outside of a norm, you mm-hmm. know, by interracial dating or marriage or, or babies, but still just not be prepared for the fallout that comes with it, you know. I mean, yeah. it, it can happen on a class level, rich, rich marrying poor. Yeah, it can happen on a race level, you know, um, all kinds of ways in which this happens. And I, I do think there are times when some people do get kind of put into a, a big bubble of you should have known. But mm-hmm. we, we need we need your generation to exist for the we should have known.
yeah. to start happening. I think yeah. by the time I come around, um, you know, I, I'm born December 77. So mm-hmm. like 10 years and like four or six months or so right. after, um, after, after loving. And by that point, I feel that my parents should have, they should have known because they were mixed. They should have been like, you know what? My mom never told me, or, you know what? Like, maybe you're feeling this way too. Whereas like my mom wanted me to be black. My Japanese and white mom tried to make us as black as possible. Uh And she loved blackness. And she. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So she's like, she's a black hairstylist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's had a clientele of 30 years. Uh, Whereas my dad, who was black presenting half a Brit, wanted to be white. And and he sought out women that were. It just so happened that both my mother and his, his wife and my half siblings, they were also mixed women, but they were white and something. So mm-hmm. white and Mexican, white right. and, and Japanese, uh, Italian and Mexican and um, white and Japanese. So like he sought that out because I think he was trying to thin that out. And I think my dad was totally relieved that we came out lighter brown <laughs> versus his color brown. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas my mom was like, man, I wish you were darker. And I was like, yeah, but you, you, you went with a biracial dude. It was like a yeah, medium tone dude. It could have gone any way. Would she have been equipped to... Um, guide you if you had been darker? She, I don't know. No, no, no. I don't think she would have been. I mean, she was barely able to deal with it here because like when I was dealing with stuff, so my facial features code black. Yeah. My skin codes Latin, basically. So most people think I'm Dominican because I, I'm yellow and brown, but I, is your face black? What's going on with your face? You know, basically <laughs> that's the thing. And, uh, and so a lot of people think I'm Dominican because of, of all the Latinx cultures, Dominicans really do present sort of ambiguously Latin, but with black features. So that's the one that makes the most sense. I get Puerto Rican a lot too, but Dominican Uh seems to be the one that most people, and a lot of Dominicans are shocked to find out I'm not Dominican. Like that's usually the thing. It was like, there's no way you're not Dominican. It's gotta be in there somewhere. And I'm like, well, no black plus Japanese and white equals Dominican. Uh, Like That's that's, that's what it looks like. And uh, I mean, it's it's a whole part of my life. Like, and the funny thing is, is I don't know much about Dominican culture, but I, every time I find out someone's Dominican, I like instantly feel kindred, even though I have, it's only because people, yeah, it's only because people have called me Dominican my whole life. It's just one of those things. And, um, and so I coding the way, like looking the way I do, um, the black people always identified me. And so Uh my dad, it used to, besides my dad's, besides me looking like the spit of my dad, if people came up to me, it was like, oh, you could tell that's a little mixed girl. He'd uh-huh. be like, oh, she's, you know, he would always kind of emphasize that I was Japanese or white, you know, like he would say other things and he wouldn't really talk about the black stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but also my name is Charmaine Latrice. So like, <laughs> so you had, had like a healthy amount or unhealthy amount of internalized oppression. Sounds like he did. He yeah. really, really did. I think he, like he loved his, his mother uh, more than he loved his father. You know, in a lot of cases, a lot of us have traumatic experiences with our fathers. And in his case, he did as well. Um, so he preferred his mother uh, yeah. in terms of parenting and everything like that. And he wanted yeah. to emulate her a lot. Um, you would see it pop up and there was a lot of self-hate, but then he would move us to black neighborhoods. And I couldn't tell, like, I've always just wondered why, if you, if you're so uncomfortable around black people, why are you always moving us here? 
And then it's not until I'm an adult that I start to realize like, oh, was this kind of the only place he could buy a house or, you know, was this yeah. that he can, you know, things like that. There was mm-hmm. things that I'm, I'm starting to understand now as an adult may have been an issue before him. Um, but you can always tell when it bothered him that people just accepted him as black. He went through a period of time where he totally embraced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in a very weird kind of way of like he, his his code switch was this is very strange to admit out loud. I don't think I've, I've said it on the show at all yet. Uh, when my dad performed black, mm-hmm. it made me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would, it seemed so false. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like I always kind of viewed my dad as a bit of a racist because of what his performative blackness was oh, yeah. versus just like being who he was a right. black presenting man, you mm-hmm. know, like there was something there. The flip side of that, and this is the part that I'm a little bit more uncomfortable to admit, but I'm going to go ahead and do it, mm-hmm. is that my mom, being Japanese and white, and even though she drives me crazy sometimes when she tries to speak uh, hood speak and things like that, because I know <laughs> that that's what she views as blackness, I would find it slightly less uncomfortable. Oh, gosh, I hate that I'm admitting this. I would find it slightly less uncomfortable when my mom would be sort of performative hood than when my dad would be. Like, that's how much they coded. That's very interesting. Why do you think that it was more uh, upsetting for you when your dad did it? Having not really tackled this issue yet, I'm, I don't 100% know, but I'm going to say that a lot of it had to do with um, while though my dad presented black and though I knew my dad was my black parent, mm-hmm. he was so performative white, like his normal code was a, a, perce- a perceived as a white behavior type what of thing. He, he was mixed. Yeah, he was. But so, was it coding? see this is I'm, I haven't fully I haven't really investigated it I've been so I've you know uh, I've just had my my teenage angst about, about people it coding. I have a theory about mixed people encoding I don't think we code switch you don't think we code switch no I think that we just like it's just our code around. yeah I think our code is moving around that's interesting that's definitely something to investigate um I mean, not for everybody, but I mean, I don't, I'm, my whiteness is not something that I code switch into. Right. Like you grew up in. uh, I don't, I'm not comfortable code switching into kind of blackness. I don't, that doesn't, feels completely foreign to me. So that would be sort of. And I think like, that's what we're like t- my kids would die if they saw me. <laughs> no, I think there's something there. Absolutely. So in thinking about my father, uh, yes, he did grow around up around both of his parents. Um, but they like I said, they were broken up by the time I came around. My my parents were also teen parents. So both of my oh, grandparents wow. were dealing with divorces around the mm-hmm. time I was born. You know, you know, Ooh. a little bit prior, but but around the time I was born. So um, mm-hmm. so they are dealing with their actually I know that I'm kind of a direct result of some of this stuff, too, because my my mom was being abused by her father. She wanted to get kicked out of the house. She my dad and his father used to have an abusive relationship and he, he was kind of irritated. My dad suggested they have a baby. My dad was 16. My mom was 14. She gets pregnant. I was, oh my I was a planned teen pregnancy. 
And the goal of the teen pregnancy was to get kicked out of the house so that they could be adults. So I mean, like such a teenager plan. It's such a teenage plan, right? Like, like versus just fucking run away, kids. Like, just do that. No, we need to get kicked out. Such a teenage plan. So let's bring a whole ass human. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a it's their nightmare. Um, But so yeah, they you know they they I'm a planned teen pregnancy. I'm a result of a Uh first time. Certainly with my mom. I don't actually know about if I was my dad's first time but um i'm i'm a result of a first time i'm a result wow. of a planned teen pregnancy i was a, uh-huh. a plan an escape plan and um and my parents Aww. yeah yeah that's what i was yeah. uh so but my parents like my dad uh, at that point he was with his mom more and so I view my dad as more of like the British side of his family, mm-hmm. even though he pre- presents mm-hmm. black. And and his siblings are all a varying degree of they're all mixed people, but like some of them seemed blacker, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, and some of them seemed whiter, quote Was unquote. Was that because they had um, embraced blackness or had had uh, access to family members who yeah. were black or I mean, black culture? The military kid, the military aspect of it does allow for them to be around a lot of blackness. And in fact, like my Nana was in a social circle of a bunch of, of British women who were married to black men. So there was like a mm-hmm. Scottish lady and a couple oh of gosh. English people, mm-hmm. some Welsh people, and they were always around us um, growing up. Like she had the social circle of these of these uh, Brits that, you know, loved black men, you know, and, 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 the, and the husbands that brought him them here weren't necessarily the only black men that they had had in their lives too like it was mm-hmm. that was their whole ass thing uh so i think like they i think my dad attaching more to his british side or his mother's side was a way for him to seem better so my 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 nana would be what the the british equivalent to an uppity woman would be like you know the way we call black women mm-hmm. uppity she is a mm-hmm. low-born brit who yeah. pretends an heir of highborn Brit because she's like, Americans uh-huh. aren't going to know the difference. She worked oh, on her good. accent so that she went from uh-huh. the more uh, low class accent to the higher class accent. And so she's here wow. in California speaking with the, her, you know, British accent and, and uh-huh. being admired for this. And so this is what my dad is seeing. So I think my dad's code, if we're going to go that way was more of a mixed person who grew up in whiteness, even though he had access to blackness. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like in the seventies, yeah, he had a big I, afro I and all that kind of stuff. And, but he was uh-huh. still at the end of the day, he preferred or thought whiteness was better. And so he went that way. Well, I can completely understand that. I mean, I don't know that I made a conscious decision that whiteness was better. Mm-hmm. I I, it was all like survival for me. It was also what you were around. Yeah, it was what I was around. But like, you know, I, I learned early on and I couldn't even tell you exactly why. Uh, well, I could. That blackness was bad. That I was not that, you know, that that was not something that I should align myself with. Mm. Because yeah. everybody that I was around, even though they considered themselves to be and they probably were like progressive and liberal and my grandparents were Democrats and they all hung out with, you know, totally progressive people. They were still had all of their um, biases right. against 
black people, hardcore, heavy biases that right. they never even would think of examining because they're like, oh, we don't see color. No, that's all done. You know, that is the unfortunate so, side of unfortunate side of a liberal white person is because of their being liberal, they don't realize or pay attention to their biases. And so they just dismiss that they even exist while they are operating with those at play. It's crazy. Exactly. It's really crazy. And um, so I can understand um, just as a a mode of survival Mm -hmm. and being able to stay, to stay safe. Yes. Probably uh, was going on aligning with yourself with what is around you. Yeah, it's yeah. a very precarious space. I wonder and- too, like if you were, say, pulled from your white side and around more of your black side, what experience that would have done as well? Because when you do look sort of more like people. Do you, mm-hmm. are you more embraced or are you still looked at as different because also you have this upbringing and, you know, and the white side, you know, everybody, everybody I talk to has a totally different experience who, who depending on yeah. who they grew up around, um, the different varying la- levels of acceptance, because even my white presenting biracial people, the white people are like, I know there's something different about you, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing is yeah. still at play there. My dad's family, um, they're from Chicago, and they were always, you know, sort of halfway interested Mm. in, um, well, I wouldn't even say halfway. My dad was always, like, with these white women, and I think they were like, but why does he keep doing this, you know? It wasn't, um, I think if my mom had, like, tried to incorporate me into their lives, they would not have ever rejected me. But she didn't try. I wish she had, because I feel like I was sort of (sighs) deprived. Yeah. I agree with that. Like, why would you do that? How could you, I don't know. There's just a high level of unawareness to not understand that even if you have a problem with my black dad, that I need, I need his family in my I life. I need his family. Yeah. I need them. Absolutely. I mean, to be alone. I mean, I, I did have my brother who's also mixed and we were like boy girl version of each other, you know, in terms really? of our, yeah, yeah. We, we, we looked, we looked alike when we were little and we're close in age and we spent a lot of time together. And I do think that makes a difference to have somebody right. just one other person on the planet with you who's with you all the time who looks like you. There's so many guests that I've had that that it's just them and them their one sibling and they're like it was just the two of us against the world yeah, like we totally. didn't no one else understood each other but us. What about cousins? Did you have white cousins? Um yeah, not a lot. But not a lot. I have white I have white cousins and they live on the East Coast so we were never <laughs> So you didn't even play around them. Okay. Because that was, that was going to be another question is like, how does, how, how did they view and treat you? So is this a, what, okay. I'm legit about to ask kind of a question based out of ignorance. Is this a white thing that white people don't have that many cousins? Cause my husband doesn't also, (laughs) also doesn't have cousins. Like a lot of the white people I know don't have cousins. Aren't you just supposed to have two kids? Isn't that the rule? <laughs> so that's weird. Cause like, <laughs> cause like my whole family, like my dad's side of the family, my dad is one of six. And so, uh-huh. 
you know, like, so I grew up around just like cousins. And then I had an uncle who would disappear every couple of years oh and come back with new kids Lord. and just be like, oh, your cousin. So we just like fucking had kids all the time on my dad's side. Yeah. And we were always around each other. It's weird because as adults, we don't really engage except for on right. Facebook and we don't see each other. But yeah. like we grew up around each other a lot. And having those other like pale, yeah. ambiguous people look like yours. Like my, my boy cousin, who's a year younger than me, um, we look alike. But he looks light skinned black. Oh, really? And so, like, side by side, and we're a year apart. We are the twin okay. cousins. We look alike. We're a year apart. We had this thing of like, you and me look yeah. alike, even though we're yeah. different colors. So, I think my understanding of mixedness, whether it was on like a real deliberate, you know, like a real obvious level or a real kind of subconscious level, was. Mm-hmm. Oh, all of us are like this because yeah. these were the people I was around. So it wasn't until I was left out of that environment and moved, dropped into a white school where I was like, oh, like white people don't have cousins and everybody looks like them. Like, that's what, how do you tell yeah. us? Apart? How do you tell you guys apart? Like my, like, my cousins were different colors, but we all had the same faces. Like it all is just a different my experience is just a little bit i think a little bit different than most of the people that i get to talk to but i keep finding this out cuz i cuz like for me the cousin thing was yeah, the thing I that bet. really grounded my understanding mm-hmm. of how race is different you know like we like we're from the same family and some of us are the same mix like i have four mm-hmm. cousins that are black japanese and white on my dad's side some of us look black yeah. some of us look white most of us look latin mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like that we, we just run the gamut of, of faces and uh, but the cousin thing really, really helps. But for the folks that I know that grew up around white side, they didn't have cousins. And if they did, their cousins didn't know no, how to play I mean, with we, that, that opportunity never arose. So, yeah, I did not grow up around my cousins. I grew up around my siblings and I'm super grateful for that because otherwise I would have been in complete, complete whiteness. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad that you that you had at least a uh, sibling to be yeah, able and then to When I was 10, my younger sister was born and she's also mixed. Um so um that was really important for me. Uh, I I that was really important for me to have other people Were you able to be helpful to your younger sister then in that case like by the time you're um, you're like, "Hey, I get some of this." We Probably. Yeah. Because by the time she was processing and thinking about these things, you know, my, well, my mom was also in her multicultural group by then. So, (laughs) so (laughs) yeah, she was talking about that much, much younger than me. I mean, I can just imagine how terrifying that video camera situation was for you having like never dealt with it before to all of a sudden being like, like, so what is it like for you? Like what? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it was. So I want to use this as a way to kind of get back in or get into segue terribly and awkwardly into (laughs) the work you're doing right now. Okay. (laughs) uh, I'll definitely be editing some of this out. Uh, um, (laughs) So. So coming from the this idea of like your mom finally gets that something is at play here that she doesn't understand and she's investigating the multicultural aspects of the family she's created and she comes at you with a camera and wanting to say like let's talk about this let's deal with this and you don't have a you don't have the language mm-hmm. for it how does that 
experience play into the work that you're doing now in the the or and talk a little bit about what you're doing now with the mixed race co- coaching that you are um, okay well i'm i am a life coach and i will be certified within the next 2 weeks so i'm very excited about that yeah really excited about that and i center my work around um mixed people the healing and empowering of mixed people through coaching mixed people and parents of mixed children, uh, which is, I don't know. It just seems like when I say those words, I just, you know, it's like, I got to cozy up in it. Yeah. I it's like cozy <laughs> up in my favorite cozy chair with my favorite cozy book, you know? Right. Yeah. I've just, <laughs> it just feels like home. Um, and one of the things that I focus on is parents of mixed children. And one of the reasons I focus on that is because of my upbringing. Right. And I do think that, that parents of mixed children have an awareness eh, more than my mom or more than that generation, the the loving generation Mm -hmm. about the fact that they're mixing and they're creating a mixed person and that that is different, but I don't know that they're equipped to, um, how do I want to say this to nurture a higher level of mixed identity confidence in, in mixed people and their children. Because I think that so often parents, um, monoracial parents, uh, focus on the mixing Mm -hmm. rather than the mix. This tiny little beautiful mixed creation. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I will say Um, I know plenty of people, um, and especially in our social circle through academia with my husband, we know a lot of white men who have brown wives. We just do. And all of them, like they have these kids and they're these, you know, hybrid little yellow and brown white kids. And they'll say stuff and I'll, I'll notice in the moment, oh, they have a mixed kid. They think their work is done. Like they, yeah. it's almost like they think that having a mixed kid, it's that, that idea that is so, ugh, I can't stand it. When like mixed people are going to change the world and the racism is going yeah. to be gone. We're going to find other ways <laughs> to hate. And so with these, with these white men that we know that have these brown and yellow wives, they don't realize there's shit going on with that kid. And absolutely so being around me has opened a couple of their minds where they're like, Oh, I didn't even think that that was an issue. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you need to start reading some books. You need to start talking yeah. to some mixed people because we need you to do better for them. Because like, I'm not having kids or whatever you, you do have kids, but you are already like, I remember what it's like to not know. I had my experience. My mixed kids are going to know. You know, you're going to yeah. you're going to be able I mean, to do I that easier when you're a mixed parent to be able to talk about these things with your mixed kids. But I think it's really important that um, mixed people get we get so much affirmation from other mixed people because other yes. mixed people understand what we're going through yes. and what we've been through. Parents, monoracial parents can have the same understanding. The information is out there and they have a little person who they can talk to or, you know, a bigger person, their children that they can talk to and find out what their experiences is and and their experiences are. And, you know, there's enough studies or enough mixed people. There's a community where you can get the information. Right. So I think it's so important 
that we as mixed people should not have to sort of um, affirm and safeguard ourselves, just us. Mm-hmm. I think that families are obliged to do that too. Yes. Yes. And that is not like the norm. I don't see that as the norm with parents feeling like I made this little mixed person and I need to understand what their life is like Yes, so that I can prepare them to be out in the world as a mixed person. And so that, so that they can feel empowered yeah. in the world as a mixed person. I honestly, I want monoracial parents of mixed children to feel obligated. Like yes. I want them to feel in the whatever a positive version of a burden is. I think we need a new word for this. Uh, I know I that's want, exactly what I'm saying, it, Charmaine. Because I don't like to use the word obliged. Right. Like I want it to. We don't have. I. I cannot find a word. I always say a positive. It's burden. almost like an invitation to be a part of this mixed community yeah. because. The mixed community is like just us, yeah. but it, it isn't because whenever we talk about being mixed, we always talk about our parents and where we came from right. and how we grew up. And it's so we always way. talk about our family and our family at the same time is not like as involved and invested as we are. And they should be. Absolutely. They, I like, I think about this also with transracial adoptions as well. If uh-huh, you are exactly. a monoracial white person adopting a brown or yellow baby, you need to be in brown and yellow spaces, yeah. especially if those children are monoracial. There's a whole host, there's a whole host of things that yeah. you can do to create a loving, safe, empowered environment mm-hmm. for your brown child. Yes, absolutely. And so that's what I'm doing with my coaching is I have programs that do that. Yes. I'm so excited. I want to talk about this like all day long. Um, I do. No, you don't understand. Well, yes, you do understand. Um, (laughs) It's me trying to explain this to white people where I'm like, you don't get it. But like, yes, absolutely. You understand the thing. It's the whole reason why you're doing it. We are in this, like I'm 41 years old and I Mm -hmm. finally am comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and why am I comfortable? Yeah. Because I started to find mixed people to talk about. I I, exactly. I I felt seen. I feel validated. My experience aren't unusual or weird. There are people mm-hmm. just like me. It has changed my language. I no longer say I grew up being the different one. I say I grew up in an environment where everybody around me was different from me. Right. You know, like I'm using the lessons I'm learning from all the people that I'm just having conversations with you know, mm-hmm. just conversations about our experiences. I'm learning how to change my language. And now, I mean, I've always embraced my mixedness, but I've struggled in a bunch of different areas. Yeah. My, my big pain point still to this day is not being darker because I grew up in an environment surrounded by dark skinned people who I thought were beautiful. And I thought I will never be beautiful because I don't, I won't be able to Mm. achieve that. So like I, that's been my baggage throughout a big portion of my life. And even as a comfortable mixed ass adult, every now and then I see someone like Lupita Nyong'o and I'm like, fuck, I will never be beautiful. You know, like I have these moments. I I, I don't feel that way all the time, but I have these moments. Yeah, no, I I understand. But I'm still comfortable in my mixes. I'm excited about mixes. I love mixes and I love mixed people. And then I'm just like, well, what do I do with this now? You know, the show is great. And I know that it's giving back to my community because I'm getting 
responses and emails mm-hmm. about the yeah, effect that it's having. Sure. So 100%, I know that it's doing good. But in that way in which we're greedy humans, we're just like, well, how do I do more good? Plus, I'm a superhero <laughs> fan. So like, I'm a comic book girl. So like, I'm trying to be a mixed race superhero out in the streets. Um, and I hear what you're doing. And I'm just like, look at a mixed race superhero is doing stuff like is teaching white people how to braid hair or, <laughs> or whatever it is, like the different ways in which you can enrich your mixed kids life, whatever that is. And, and it doesn't matter that yeah, you're black really and white. About, like centering mixedness. Yes. Yes. And that's the word. Yes. The changing the language is I never think about centering you know, it's always that the world is centered around cisgendered white men. And so you just yeah. think that's the way. And it's things like the it's like saying women and women of color it bothers me now because I'm like, what the fuck are we saying as a woman? Just a white woman? Then say, let's say white right. woman. If we're going to distinguish a woman of color, let's also say white yeah. woman. Like we need to change the way we allow the world to center around whiteness mm-hmm. and center around maleness. So oh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing because I, oh my, I am so excited. I can't even tell you. It's like the one thing it's just home. It's completely home for me. Yes. It's the one thing that when I talk about, I feel better than I've ever felt about anything. You do, right? You walk around like a little bit lighter when you, when I've had these conversations with other mixed people, like I ride that high, like even sometimes we do talk about trauma and things that we dealt with. And that's why I end the show the way that I do asking the question about what we love about being mixed is because I want us to remember that our whole life isn't tragedy and trauma. Some of it absolutely absolutely is. We can also live and celebrate powers. And yeah, it's amazing. And I would love to talk further about about some of those things. Um, but of course you have dinner and yeah. we have gone on way beyond we were supposed to. Uh, so you are definitely coming back for another episode, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Cause this is like, you just opened up a whole new world. Like I'm just like ready to get into it. Um, but okay. So since we are coming to the end, let's go ahead and, um, and talk about what you love about being mixed and then just know that we're going to have you back soon <laughs> so we can talk about the italian side because i just i'm so excited um what do i love about being mixed i love how flexible i am and how mm. open-minded i am and how accepting i am of other people yeah and i think that comes from being mixed and living in um, inhabiting different spaces and learning how to inhabit different spaces um, safely and securely for myself. Uh, mm. And I, I love that. I love being able to move into different spaces. I love being able to be like, huh, okay, that's different, but whatever, that's okay. I can I accept <laughs> that, you know, um, just from, from being that, from being from being different and accepting myself. So I absolutely love being mixed. I think it's cool. And I, that's what I'm teaching my kids. And that's what I want all people to feel, all mixed people to feel like. Like they, they just love being mixed. Yeah, it, it really does hurt when I hear that people don't love. And I, I understand having complicated relationships to your mixedness. I certainly do because yeah. I'm a quarter colonizer. Um, but 
or I guess technically half colonizer, but like, and I, so I have a very complicated <laughs> relationship to that. You're a colonizer. Oh, you, oh, you, oh, you're a quarter colonizer. Yeah. So my, I'm like, because I have colonizer. a British, I'm like, I mean, I'm half tech, I'm half white technically because my mom's father was white also, but he's like, he's like revolutionary era American. So like their family has been here since the 1700s. Wow. So it's, I, it's also colonizer, but it's, it's, um, it's been here for a long time colonizer. Yeah, Whereas like fine. my grandmother is British as a British yeah, woman. They're, they're so, like hardcore colonizers. Right. Like it's in their language. Like that's why I say she's British versus English, because I need yeah. you to understand the Britishness comes with colonization. Oh, you know, like absolutely. if you're like an English person who just like stayed in England forever and you're like, whatever, but you know, boom, I'm just English. That's a, that's a different kind. My, my Nana is British. Yeah. She has come to America to conquer, you know? like <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I, you know, obviously we have complicated relationships with things that we're mixed with. Um, but I, um, I still love mix. I love the flexibility. Like you say, I love that because of my mixedness, I am able to see things differently than a monoracial person and can maneuver a space differently than a monoracial person because of it. And maybe that's a benefit to me in most cases, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing for me. And I didn't realize until my adult, until I was an adult that those are mixed qualities. Right. Right. And um, I'm happy to have those qualities and I'm happy to be mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is wonderful. I, I feel like I could talk to you all. I, I think this happened the last time when we talked for, for your coaching <laughs> thing too. Uh, we talked for a long time um, and I love to talk, so you're not going to get me to shut I up. So we, you just better tell me you got to go. <laughs> I gotta go and hang up and run away. Um, but <laughs> but thank you so much. Uh, why don't you tell everybody you. how they can follow you on social media before we totally wrap up? Okay, and then you I can am go ahead and at Sarah Lotus Scarrett on Instagram. Sarah with an H. Sarah with an H. L O T U S G A R R E T T. And then I have my website, which is sarahlotus.com. Uh, sarahlotus.com. Okay. And right. well, I'm on Facebook, so- but it's not where my passion lies. So yeah, yeah. Facebook is just something we're on because we have cousins, or at least in my case. <laughs> um, but but Instagram, yeah, Instagram and Twitter is, is pretty exactly, much where I live. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> thank you, thank so you so thank much you for so this. Much. I'm so excited. Thank you so All much. Right. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.